Good morning, friends. So good to see you, Bruce City Scattered, Bruce City Church. So good to see your names on Facebook, see your names on the Zoom, whether you're on Facebook or Zoom, I'm watching your names, who's with us, and it just makes me feel like we're together more, doesn't it? So uh, keep, keep hopping in, keep uh, commenting, keep chatting, keep hearting things, share this on Facebook. We're so excited about the unique opportunity that we have to reach so many more. We know some of you are all across the nation, different nations even, and we just say welcome and we love you. We're so glad to be together. This morning has already been beautiful, soaking in the word of God and, and letting just worship wash over us in just a beautiful healing way that makes you feel like you're coming alive. Have you felt that this morning yet? This morning, we get another chance to be with our friends from the Middle East, our great friends, Drew and Mary. Last week, we heard from Drew and Mary in, in Lebanon. And what it's reminded me is that as we sit here as Bruce City scattered in our homes and we haven't been driving our cars much and we've been stationary and isolated and, and in one place, what I'm reminded of hearing from Drew and, Drew and Mary across the world in the Middle East and Lebanon is that though we might be safer at home and, and quarantined, the spirit of God, friends, is not quarantined. The spirit of God is on the move in beautiful, powerful, mind-blowing ways that we would never, ever expect in a million years. The scriptures from 2,000 years ago that where we see miracles happening and, and the spirit of God just transforming and shaking cities and revealing himself to unbelievers, it's happening as we speak. God is on the move. We need that reminder. So with that, let's welcome our friends, Drew and Mary. Drew and Mary, are you with us? Yes. Good morning. Yeah, there you are. Love to see your faces. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Drew and Mary. We're giving you a big round of applause, and everyone's commenting and welcoming, high-fiving. Really fun. So how was your week? How are you guys? We're good. Good. Yeah, yeah, doing well. Doing well. All right. Well, um, so last week we had a fun time just getting getting into your world a little bit, hearing about your calling, hearing about how you felt pulled into Lebanon, or in Mary's case, how you didn't feel called into it. We got dragged into it, and God is doing amazing things. I loved how you were praying for your future self when you started praying for Drew's, Drew's future wife. It wound up being cool. That was fun. <laughs> so this morning, you guys, as we continue our time and continue just hearing, hearing the story of what who you are and what God's doing through you and what God's doing in the Middle East. Could you frame up a little bit the context of your setting in the Middle East for us, just to give us a little bit more context so we can be aware and even more aware of what God's doing? Yeah. So, you know, we, we live in Lebanon, uh, which is just, you know, tucked away next to Syria by Israel-Palestine, that whole area right there. Uh, on the Mediterranean, um, which, you know, Lebanon is a, is a very diverse country religiously. There's a lot of, there's more than other Arab countries. We actually have a, a diversity of all types of Muslims, all types of Christians, uh, and several groups that are, you know, somewhere in between. And, uh, and, and so we live in a particularly diverse, uh, small little pocket in the Middle East that's obviously really connected to the, just the crazy events of the last uh, 10 years in the Middle East. Uh, through its, our, our relationship to Syria. So 
you know, Mary shared about the refugees. We have Lebanon has six million people, uh, and at one point had two million refugees. Uh, so if you can imagine, the six million. Oh. no, no, the six million plus two million no. refugees. So the uh, it's like uh, you know an, an unbelievable amount of pressure and impact on society. Um, and, and in general, you know, the, the Arab world has just been in an incredible amount of turmoil. And that's the obvious part. Like we, we know that about the Middle East. That doesn't surprise anyone. I think what we often miss is the spiritual narrative that's happening behind the scenes. So our, our kind of uh, exploration into that realm kind of began after the story I told last week, going to Egypt in 2003. And personally, just having an encounter with the presence of God in Egypt uh, that released a grace to just have a lot of faith for what God wanted to do in the Middle East, in our generation. Uh, and it was kind of connected with this, the verse from Habakkuk that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as water covers the sea, this image of, of a saturation, not just with God's presence, which already saturates everything, but with, with humanity coming to know and appreciate and, and enter in, you know, into that that glory of of who god is um, so coming back from egypt feeling faith for that but not necessarily having a sense of what that looks like in the real world um, and so that kind of as i shared that with with mary who's a friend at the time and some other close friends uh and and god began to stir us as a group to kind of respond to to, to a call like that we began to just study what God was doing in the world. And, and you know, we first kind of stumbled upon uh, some of these stories coming out of China, the underground church in China, right? And, and probably the most well-known modern uh, church planting network is the, would be the underground church in China. I mean, estimates anywhere from 100 million, 200 million believers in persecution, meeting house to house. Uh, the book of Acts, absolutely happening unfolding for the chinese people right now as we speak and so we began to read these books and we're like well this 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 sounds like the, the knowledge of the glory of god filling a place like what if god did that in the middle east so then we still we, we continue to read and begin to discover at the time uh you know movements that were beginning to to break out in the the muslim world which historically people said yeah that might happen in china because you know it's a repressive communist regime and it's some, you know, it has to do with the, the unique nature of the Chinese people and the spiritual void created by communism. But, you know, Arabs are different. Muslims are different. You know, this, 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 we could never expect that in, in these type of environments. But movements started to break out. They broke out in northern India among traditional, very fanatical Hindu groups. Movements started to break out in, in places like Bangladesh. Uh, this is about, this is at the end of the 20th century, so the 1990s. Um, and, and it begun, begins to break out in Indonesia. Some of these, some people are going to see these book of Acts, house to house, disciple making movements beginning to emerge. Um, and so when we set out for the Middle East, that was our, that was what we wanted to see that same thing that God, that God is doing in all types of places uh, in the world today, particularly in the 1040 window, which, you know, is the kind of uh, missiology term for like the, the unreached area of the world that is traditionally most hostile uh, politically or culturally to Christianity, all that stuff. So within that, that play, that unreached part of the earth, these book of Acts, miraculous movements uh, bursting forth. So the really, here's the good news. The good news is uh, that these movements have now broken out all over 
the Muslim world all over in almost, I mean, I think the vast majority uh, of Muslim countries would have movements. And by movements, I mean, these are house to house led by local people, lay leaders, uh, simple models, discipleship, and, and sort of contagious growth by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the thing we were doing our Lectio on, you know, the, the, the empowerment from on high on ordinary men and women who are, who are building the, the fabric of the church in their homes, sharing it and, and sending out from their midst people from village to village in, in cities. This is happening all over the Muslim world to the extent that, um, that, in the, in, that more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus in the last 20 years, in the first two decades of this century, than in the last 1,300 years yeah. of history combined. Come on. Um, it's unprecedented. It's historic. It's an awakening. Uh, it's often marked by, by healings, dreams, and visions. Uh, the church in Iran is arguably the fastest growing church in the world. Yeah. And, uh, and, so, and so there's just, a, in, we're on the very front end of it. So like when you look at the harvest field, the harvest is is still vast and the need for laborers is immense. And in the Arab world, we're just on the ground floor of, of seeing those type of, of local leaders raise up, uh, but rise up, I should say. But um, the, the good news is that the, the water level across the Muslim world continues uh, to rise tremendously. Incredible. And so within that context of a movement starting in the last 20 years that we that you guys are seeing and feeling and sensing and a part of. Can you just get us a little bit more into your world again? Um, what What's your world look within that context? Where do you guys fit within that big, huge story that God is telling um, around the world in among Muslims? Um, Mary, where, what, what does that look like in your world particularly? Yeah. So I'll, I'll take it from like the big to <laughs> my life. Um, so I am a mom. So I have um, three girls that are 10, eight and six. So, <laughs> so as you all know, that means like, I'm just normal. I'm normal, you know, mom over here. Um, but my girls go to the, a school in our neighborhood. And so that same school that Drew teaches at. Um, and so that gives me my weekdays. Um, so I, um, besides being mom and like, you know, all that, all that entails, I would say a couple days a week, two or three times a week, I will go up, I'll drive an hour, hour and a half to the Bacaw Valley, um, which, and that's where the Sierra refugee camps are. And as you guys saw and heard last week, that's where I do the clinics. And so, um, again, like I wake up early, get the girls out of the house, they're out of the house by 7.30, I'm in my car by 7.45, I've got like five stops, got to pick up the meds, pick up my team, you know, so that by the time I get to the refugee camp, it's like 10, we unload the meds, we hit the ground, we see like from 10 to 2, we see people, and you know, like I said, we'll see sometimes, you know, 60, 80, 100, 100 you know, we're just like slamming, going through it, and then pack up the car, drop off the meds, get back to my house to see my kids <laughs> when they walk in. Um, so in the clinics, I, and you saw the video of it, but in the clinics, um, I think one of the things that I, I just, I think the thing that's so amazing is to be able to know, um, we oftentimes tell our friends, like, if you know of any new Syrians who have, who have fresh, like freshly fled, we want to see them. We want to see them. We want to be their first medical interaction. And so we will meet these Syrians. And most of the time, because Syria was so closed, 
um, for so long before uh, even the war. They, we are the first foreigner they've ever interacted with and sometimes the first believer they've ever interacted with. Wow. So kind of the honor of getting to hold the presence of the Lord and like sit with these women and to check them medically, but then to pray over them is, is just, it's actually so profound. And wow. um, so there's this really on, honestly, amazingly dynamic thing to be able to bring his presence into such a real intense situation um, and serve such a serve such a need on it. And, and again, it's it's simple things like ear infections and strep throat and bronchitis that people need medicine for, but these people would not get it. And so as mom, I understand your kid has an ear infection, you need medicine, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so that's one of the things, but inside of the clinics, we're always looking for people who are responding to, to our prayer or to our sharing. And so a great example would be, I'm going to name this woman, uh, Nadia. And, uh, we, we met a woman in one of our clinics and she, uh, was so moved by prayer. She really begged us to come back and listen and to talk, to talk more. She said, could you please come back to me? I loved the way you prayed for us. I loved, um, the way you prayed for the women. None of the NGOs or organizations have ever treated us like this. You treat us like humans. You don't treat us like objects. And, um, so we came back and we visited with her and we sat with her and what will very simply kind of open up some scripture with them and talk. And, um, she just loved it from the beginning. And so in, in really, in a really simple way, we just invite these Syrians to start reading the scriptures with us. And we often say, would you want to learn from the lives of the prophets with us? And so, um, we'll, so one of the days of the week, I'm doing a clinic and then another day I'll go do visits. So I'll, I might spend like an eight hour day. I'll go do four, three or four visits opening up the scriptures with the women, asking them questions, wanting them to discover the truth for themselves. And with my friend, Nadia, um, it became so real and rooted with her with, with dreams, <laughs> with like encounters with Jesus and prayer and miracles that um, she actually started sharing with all of her neighbors. And then it's like, it's a real, you know, there's so many stories about it, but she actually has um about 150 women in different groups that are, that are meet together twos and threes, sometimes fives and sixes. Um, and then that, that they all have this whole network of widows and other women that are wanting to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And one of the most awesome things is that all of these women are known for three things in their community. They're known as women who pray and see amazing things happen. And they say that they pray in the name of Jesus. They're known for women who help, um, and, or women who do, do, they would say in Arabic, like, so they do good works, um, and they love God. So those are the three things that they're known for. And, um, she was telling, they even had this one meeting where there's a big group of them. There's probably 25 and they asked the newcomer to pray for them. And the newcomer says, you want me to pray in the name of Jesus? This is blasphemous. This is corruption. We could get killed for this, you know? And, uh, and she's like, you guys are, um, you guys are, um, Infidels. infidels you guys are infidels and uh and one of the other the older woman in the group stands up and says have you ever prayed in the name of jesus do you Whoa. know what happens and uh, the, all the women just were kind of defending her and then the you know the, the woman quieted down and they ended the time with a you know ending it with a praying in the name of jesus so so that's like the obviously the dream and that's what that's the seed of what we're talking about that's the seed of empowering these um, these simple groups of women that we believe are the church, that we believe are the hope for Syria, that it's not Drew and I <laughs> that are the hope, but it's actually these women. 
Um, and then another extension in the last couple of years is I've gotten to um, start volunteering also in a same Syrian refugees, a little bit different setting, but we're doing some training with the refugees. And so we've got a group of women, like we had 20 and then another 12 that we take through a nurse training. And we're kind of trying to get them practical medical skills and we lecture that do lectures and that we can send them into Syria at, or stay here in the camps as um, kind of the, a nurse for their, um, for their camp. And we, we embarked on it just wanting to be wanting time and space with them and also wanting to be able to give them a practical skill. And the women loved it. So I'll just give a short story about this one woman. Her name is Hannah. Hannah. And uh, she, she is fully covered. You can only see her eyes. And um, she is married to a, a very radical sheikh, which is a religious leader in a mosque. And he is... Uh, really horrible. <laughs> and he abuses her a lot. So she's came into the clinic before even she, um, before she even joined our nurse training and, um, would be black and blue underneath all that's happening. And, um, so as we're, as we're inviting them and we're doing lectures, we're also doing these Bible studies inside of the training. And so that we're talking about, um, loving our enemies. We're talking about what it means to be a good healthcare professional. And that that means to like, not lose our cool until like, you know, and, uh, and she is falling in love with Jesus, every story about Jesus. She wants to know more about, and she's got this religious leader and his buddies. And she's like, so disgusted by them. And they're even like, she's telling us stories of, you know, her husband wanting to marry a 12 year old, you know, have multiple wives. I mean, it's just the whole, it, and then she's reading us stories of Jesus with the woman at the well or Jesus, you know, like how he treats women and with respect and all stuff. And so, um, so it was, it's just been this really powerful thing that she started falling in love with him. So, um, at the end of her training, we invited them to come along and help us in the clinics and these other refugee camps. So we're inviting these women we've trained to come with us into the camps and be our like nurse assistants. And so she loves it. And she went the first day and she, we did three days in a row, really big, you know, and, uh, and she said, she came the second day and I was really surprised her father, or her husband allowed her to. She said, my husband says, I don't know what you're doing, but I've never seen you more joyful <laughs> and you've never been nicer to me or the kids. So you can go every day. So she was able to come all three days and she just loved serving these other Syrians and she loved just being a part of our team. And on the last day I pulled her aside and I was like, okay, so you've seen how Ra'ida is praying for everyone. And I think you should do it. I think you should start laying hands and praying in the name of Jesus and see what happens. And she was like, okay. And so, um, so the first person comes through and I kind of look at her. She, she's not, she can't do it. And so the next woman comes up and I was like, Hey, have you gotten prayed for to the, you know, to the woman? And the woman said, no. And I said, okay, well, Hannah's going to pray for you. And Hannah just stares at me. I'm like, she'll pray first and I'll pray after her. And so she, she does, she pr puts her hand on the lady, which I didn't have to tell her, but she's just modeling what I've shown her. And then she starts praying, but the way she prays over this woman is exactly how Raida prays. It is like from the depths of her soul, it is this incredible prayer. It's nothing like an Islam and she prays in the name of Jesus. And as soon as she ends, the lady almost falls over and she says, what did you just do? My pain all went away. She had like severe disc pain in her back and the pain had gone away. And, and when the lady said that, Kend almost fell over. So I had like two women. And so anyways, it was really awesome. So Han oh, sorry, Hannah saw her, first, um, saw her first miracle. And then she was energized to pray for more women. And as she was praying for more women, more of their like, like one woman came in with a migraine and it went away. 
Um, and she was so like, yeah, she's just so alive. And she's, she's at the end of the clinic. She's like, I'm going to go back to my camp and I have all these widows that live around me. I'm going to gather them. I can pray for them. I can share the scripture with them. And so that's what she's doing. So that, that's another, like, that's the, that's like kind of from the beginning to like where she's at now. And so we would say she's at the beginning of being these simple fellowships. Incredible. I mean, we're sitting here in the States and uh, if we get any news from the Middle East, it's usually the awful things that are happening. We hear about Syrian refugees and how they're at crisis and they're pushed and squeezed all over the place. And, and we're ten, our tendency is to say, God, where in the heck are you? Where are you in all this? Because we just don't see it. Little do we know that under the headlines and under the surface, God is moving in miraculous ways among the most unlikely people, not only Muslims, Muslim women. And he's revealing himself in and to and through them, through one another, right? I mean, this is just... It's so beautiful and so good and reminds us, reminds us of this new creation that was inaugurated in Jesus in the resurrection that will not be stopped. No matter who or what anybody can do, this movement of Jesus, oh man, I can't contain myself. Yeah, no, it's amazing. (laughs) It's so good. So thank you, Mary. Um, Drew, good luck. sharing about your world, but could you, could you share about a little bit about like your, your, what your world looks like on a day-to-day basis, a little bit within that larger context that you were talking about? Yeah. So when we first moved to Lebanon, uh, I got an opportunity to, to be a teacher at a local school, three minutes walk from our house, uh, where like so by, by local school, do you mean like just local kids everywhere or like, is this a normal it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a Lebanese, it's a private school, but most schools in Lebanon are actually, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, Lebanese school. So like, I mean, our girls go there, but almost every, I mean, 95, 98% of the kids are Lebanese. Okay. Um, and they mostly are from the area in which we live. Uh, and so the, uh, it's there, they, we, I see them all the time here on the street, you know, mm-hmm. their family and all that. Um, and so, uh, it's a, an unusual school in the sense that it's an evangelical school. It was started like 50 years ago by, by evangelical missionaries. Uh, but the, the, this, the community we're in post a lot of the, the, the religious civil war and events that happened in Lebanon, the community we live in is 99% Islamic. Um, and so, uh, but the, but the, the, everyone loves the school. They respect the sincere spirituality of the school. And so I actually have, so part of, I'm an English teacher, but I also am one of the Bible teachers in the school. So 15, 16 year old uh, Muslim teenagers, uh, I actually get to spend one hour a week with each class, just talking about, about the scriptures, about Jesus. Um, and it, you know, it's a challenge of figuring out how to make that like it is anywhere at any private school where you're teaching the Bible to teenagers, you got to figure out how to make it mean something to them. Right. But this is, you add an extra level uh, that these are Lebanese Muslims, you know, and that that this isn't the, they, they're not, and they're not raised with any value for this, this book necessarily. Uh, maybe at a, an abstract, like this is the, the holy book of Christians and we respect it. Um, so that being said, um, the school is actually, what I've actually discovered is that uh, it's just with these, working with these young people is this incredible, this incredible spiritual hunger. And uh it's they're they very openly will will say things like I'm lost, um, you know, when it when it comes to spiritual things, 
And, and every year without fail, there are kids that begin, you know, as Mary kind of made reference to this, but one of the distinctive characteristics of most of these emerging movements in the Middle East is that uh, when we think of evangelism or discipleship, you know, we might have different associations with those two words. Here, um, you know, the goal of evangelism in most of these movements and for us is, is not to, to convince someone to become a believer, but to find someone who is willing to, to begin to discover who Jesus is by reading the scriptures themselves. Uh, so therefore, you know, I'm, I'm trying to live life in such a way, praying for people, sharing my faith, that I can identify the people around me who have an openness and a curiosity and a hunger to learn more. Mm-hmm. And then the Holy Spirit and the scriptures lead them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't have to fine tune persuasive <laughs> types of interactions with people that has never actually worked for us, but the presence of God illuminates hunger. It awakens something in people. Uh, and, and then the scriptures begin to, to point to where, to what that hunger is leading them towards. You know, they begin to see Jesus like Mary described with her friend Hannah. So in the, that's my goal in the classroom. How can I teach and interact with my students in a way that, that, that helps me, that awakens their hunger for God and helps me identify the ones who are ready to take that step. Um, so every year there, I, I find students in my classes that, that want to read the scripture and I, I help them start groups with their friends and they go through a journey. The Holy Spirit shows up uh, in all types of different ways, countless different ways. And, uh, and through that, they become to have this living connection with Jesus and they begin to want to reach others. And, um, and so one of the more kind of fun stories as of uh, that happened last spring and it's kind of continuing now and it's my relationship with some guys, but uh, last spring I was doing a unit about the supernatural and on the, the ministry of Jesus and the miraculous in, in the life of Jesus. And I was sharing stories from my own life about how I've seen uh, Jesus heal people and all that. And I had some students stick around after class and they said, Hey, will you pray for us? And I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't know you guys were in pain. So they began to share some of their pains. Well, uh, I prayed for a few kids and eventually one kid says he feels electricity in his foot. He had had a, a ankle injury, hadn't been able to play uh, soccer for a year and it was completely healed that day. You know, the next day he was playing soccer. 100% hasn't had any pain yet. It was complete, uh, complete healing. And the funny thing was, he was like totally willing to tell everyone about it. He himself has never expressed interest in following Jesus or, uh, or reading scriptures, the scriptures, but he is willing to tell everyone that, that God healed him when I prayed for him. And so it began to kind of, the, the story began to spread around the school. And suddenly uh, I was in class one day and I'm sharing these stories and a kid raises her hand. A girl says, pray for me right now. And <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I, you know, I sit down a chair and I start praying for it and she begins to feel the presence of God. And then the class just explodes in chaos. So the rest of my day, students following me from class to class, telling other students about things that God did when, when we prayed so that my entire day becomes literally, I spend an entire day doing nothing but, but prayer ministry with a chair in front of the class and people coming up. And I, but, but, you know, for us, we're used to, those of us who have been around church culture, we lose the fact that, uh, when we tell someone that God's a healer and he loves them, when we, when we, when we, uh, when we, they get to watch us pray, all of that is a declaration of the gospel. We're showing people uh, that we, that we talk to God intimately, that we have faith that he hears us. We're, we're making declarations about his character. So all of that kind of creates this hunger and curiosity in these kids. They've never seen literally anything like it. So 
one of these classrooms, uh, they, they, they hear the stories and then they throw a chair in the front of the class and two guys start wrestling each other because they want to get in the chair first. And this 15 year old, 15 year old kid forces himself in the chair. And uh, I said, you know, what's, yeah, what do you, what, what's going on? How can I pray for you? And he said, I want you to pray for me that I can be free from, uh, from my addiction to cigarettes. And, you know, the class gets really quiet and he goes, don't tell my mom. Um, and he goes, does that work? Can we pray for that? And I said, we can pray for anything, man. So I pray for him. And then he goes, how will I know if it worked? And I said, I don't know. You'll know. Uh, and that weekend he went, he started smoking a cigarette. He got really sick to his stomach and threw the pack away and he hasn't smoked since. <laughs> this, this moment for him, he had already been interested in reading the scriptures. Uh, I mean, it really solidified that, that this, that he was on the journey God had for him. He's been reading the scriptures. Uh, Mary and I started like a, a house church for some of these young people because they're in a place where they can, they're really great at sharing their faith with their friends and they're not very great at building healthy spiritual community. I don't know who is at 15 and 16 years old. Right. And so we build and model spiritual family for them and give them simple models that they can then carry into their own world as they grow and mature. Um, and so he's a part of our, he's a, he's a core part of our group and he's reached out to others and brought other people. And he's, he's, you know, share, he's probably led a, several, several of his friends already to, to faith. And, um, one of those guys, another young guy who they began reading the scripture together just recently told me this beautiful story. Uh, he's like, I have a dream and I don't know what it means. And I need you. I want you, I'd love for you to help me interpret it. And I said, yeah, tell me about it. And he goes, well, I was in the room where we always meet to, to read the Bible and to pray at school. Um, but you weren't there. Instead, it was full of strangers. And instead of like you doing things, I was praying for them. And, and then while I was praying for one of these, a girl, I was praying for her and she stopped me and she goes, I just saw the face of Jesus on your face. <laughs> and, he goes, and when she said it, I saw the face of Jesus looking at me. He was smiling at me. And then he's like, what does it mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, well, I can help with this one. This doesn't take a great deal. <laughs> uh, but it was this powerful moment where I was saying, you know, look. You got, Jesus is telling you that in the same way I've helped you experience him, you're going to help a ton of people experience him. And when you do, and when you pray for them, and when you reach out to them, he is reaching out to them through your life. Yes. And as I'm saying that, I'm getting hit by the Holy Spirit. The incredible what it means that, that people like us, people like him, uh, get to participate in the ministry of Jesus. And what an honor, what an honor that really is. Oh, man. And I was just going to say, I think when we came here and our, like when we first dropped into Lebanon, we were like focused on heads of households and we had this strategy around, mm -hmm. you know, men and, and we, and then it's like, it was just so interesting how the way that we got here was through a work visa for Drew at the school. And it felt like not, you know, and again, like you've heard in the story, there's so many surprises, but actually that the, the place of hunger that we felt the most acute are refugees and young people. And that for in our, in our mind, we thought men and heads of households, but the Lord's like, actually, this is where I'm moving. This is where I want you to build. And so I don't know. And go figure. It's actually scriptural. <laughs> yeah. If Bridge City scattered, if you're like me and you've gotten a little bit disillusioned along the course of the last several decades, watching what, um, what missions is turned into and the idea of what, missionaries and missions looks like if you've been a little disillusioned are you like me also and having your heart warmed beautifully by what is possible 
in what God is doing globally and what missions can look like of incarnation, incarnationally manifesting in, in bringing this agape love and making room for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does and watching it happen in some beautiful ways. Thank you, Jude and Mary. Um, so as we've, as I've got some feedback from some Bruce City folks, um, one, one of the questions that we've had, and I know the answer to this because we're friends and I've heard stories and prayed for people that you guys are working with, but is persecution a thing when people come to, when, when Muslims in Lebanon or Syrian refugees come to faith, what does that look like? And, or is it just peachy and hunky-dory? Mm. Yeah, uh, it definitely is a thing. Uh, the, it looks different, you know, it's, it's, it's not a one size, you know, you can't, you can't just say this is what it's, it is, uh, and apply it to every community because we've seen the whole spectrum. And even with, through our connection with other stuff going on in the region, the, 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 the there's an enormous spectrum. And so you never want to think of the Muslim world or the Arab world or as, as entirely monolithic in the sense that every place functions the same way and under certain general stereotypes. Um, in Lebanon, the, what we've experienced is uh, that, that, that sort of really dramatic persecution that, uh, that you might find other places, uh, you know, people potentially being killed for leaving Islam, and you, you hear those stories, right? And in Lebanon, we have not experienced that or seen that as, as sort of a reality that anyone's considering, um, and particularly in our Beirut sort of cosmopolitan milieu. Um, the, uh, in, in general though, the, the biggest pressure is family, you know, yeah. the family is who you are. It's everything. And, uh, and religion is less of a source of devotion for most of these people, as much as it's a source of identity. Hmm. And so the, 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 the offense and the dishonor that people think they might, their kids are going to bring on their family by not identifying with the family religion is intense. Yeah. Um, and so, so lots of screaming threats, shaming. Um, it's, it costs a lot for people to choose Jesus, but it's not maybe their life, but, but a lot. And what we've seen is that eventually those we've, so we've seen, uh, we've seen some really sad stories. So I've, I was working with a student who was an, she was an incredible leader and had a strong group of people was reaching out all the time. I loved the scripture and her, uh, her family came down hard on her and it just sort of, it just kind of under undercut her faith entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also seen stories where, where people, young people walk up, you know, they, they walk it out in the light with their family and they, and their family's really mad and then come to accept them on the back end of it. And even if there's always going to be a bit of, you know, negative, uh, toxic attitude around it, but that's the Lebanese side, the Syrian side, uh, and, and, the, and we can say Syrian or even rural because rural Lebanon is different than, than urban. Uh, there is, the cost can be ultimate. I mean, there is a very real threat to people who would follow Jesus. And, um, you know, one of the really tragic stories that happened this summer uh, is in Nadia's network of women. Uh, you know, this is a women, group of women. This is extremely intense stuff. This is a group of women you know, who are, who are conservative Syrian wearing the head covering and they're reading the Bible and they're praying for people and they are, they're starting new groups. They're bold. And, and Nadia is the boldest of them all. She, she will, she will preach the gospel. She has shared Jesus in prisons. Uh, you know, she's like 
she doesn't she doesn't hold back and and um, she actually had a whole family that that came to faith primarily because the man uh, was so drawn to her faith and he was hosting groups that were meeting in his home uh, to read the scriptures and uh, a local Lebanese claim. And it was her first true male like leader. Yeah. And uh, a lead, uh, a local Lebanese clan uh, who were sort of rural, uh, I don't know, that rural, yeah, they were a rural clan, okay? And they, uh, but they got wind of it and they they came in and, and tried to get her and the family had to sneak her out through a window and all this stuff. Um, and then they later came back and then and they murdered the man. Um, and uh, the... And that, that, you know, that was a, an in, obviously an intense blow to Nadia. And we, we worked, you know, we made sure that she was getting trauma treatment for all of that. Uh, and at the same time, uh, she was able to visit him. He was stabbed and he died a few days later. She visited him in the, in the hospital and uh, he did, he articulated, he told her, like, I don't want you to feel guilty for this because following Jesus was my choice and I don't regret it. And he said it in front of his brothers and wife. So it was like a moment where he identified to not harm her. And like, I chose this. I chose to live for Jesus. I chose to die for Jesus. So her, his wife is still like following Jesus. And um, yeah, so that was, that was super, super hard. And just, and, and we're working just so you guys know, cause it's such an intense story. We're working with Nadia to continue to, to follow the, the, her, his family's story and how both her as a network and we as their friends can make sure that, uh, that they're taken care of in, yeah. in practical ways that where it makes sense to, to support them. Yeah. You, had, you were, um, so thanks for painting that fuller picture for us. Um, you guys, we'll just, I'm encouraging you, Bruce city, just be in prayer. Um, Green in prayer for what God's doing. Um, also, let's just finish. Can we finish with maybe one or maybe two short ones? But uh, just a story, another story of what, how you've seen God show up in miraculous ways um, among Muslims. Where yeah. you are. Uh, well, this, we, we decided to end on this one because it's um, pretty awesome, but it also has some persecution. You'll, you'll remember it, Randy. Yep. Um, basically, two springs ago, um, same clan of men, <laughs> Uh, Nadia was going and meeting a group of 10 um, women. And um, as she was leaving her um, Bible study, these men come out and they're Lebanese men. So they don't, they shouldn't have any control over the Syrians, but they start screaming at her. Like you have no right to be here. You can't study the Bible. You're corrupting these women. And they're just really violent. And she gets into this, her car with her husband and this car, they had just, gotten for their sewing businesses for the widow, for the widows network. And so the men start pointing guns at um, Nadia and her husband saying, get out of the car, get out of the car. And so as soon as they get out of the car, they take the car and they're like, this is ours now because it's the fee for you guys for um, corrupting Islam. And so get out of here and start shooting bullets in the air. And so, so Nadia and her husband flee. And as they're, as they're, as they're kind of running away, the men pick up rocks and are throwing it at them. So we get a text that, or we get called that night from her and she's, you know, devastated that their car is stolen. The women are, you know, in this situation. And um, so we start praying, we start praying and praying and praying. And that same night she went to her like land, the person she pays rent to, to stay on their land in the tent. And he's Lebanese. And he was like, oh no, this isn't going to work. So he takes all his sons and his car 
if you can tell, Lebanon has no like <laughs> government. So it's wow. like everything for himself. So they get the, his sons and he apparently he comes from a stronger tribe and his car and they drive to this group of Lebanese men and they're like, you will return that car by tomorrow or else. So we're all praying for that. And the car comes the next day. But um, these men say, we'll give you back this car, but um, it's going to cost you a thousand dollars. And that's a fee we're putting on it for her for correct, corrupting Islam. So the landlord, in order so that there wasn't any bloodshed, pays $1,000, walks over to Nadia and says, you owe me $1,000 by Friday. Um, don't share, you know, share Jesus with anyone else. Stop doing that. And, um, you know, this is the deal. So she texts us and she's, or, you know, calls us. It's like, we got the car, but now we're in debt $1,000 and we have to have it by Friday. And um, just to put in perspective, like a normal Syrian day's work might get, between seven and $15 in a day. So it's like, it's, you know, crazy. So um, there's no way that a Syrian can come up with a thousand dollars. And so we, we feel as a group that we're supposed to just pray and fast about this. So she's praying, her family's praying. That was Sunday night. The car was stolen. Monday it's returned. Um, Tuesday we're praying, nothing happens. Wednesday, um, Drew and another guy go up and they're, a guy named Ryan on our team go up and they're praying with her husband. And the whole time, um, Nadia's husband's family is like, this is God's justice because you have been sharing Jesus and you have, this is like Muhammad is coming and giving justice because you've been spreading Jesus instead of Muhammad. Mm-hmm. And the whole time her, like her husband's family is like from Syria and from all over are texting saying, this is, this is a huge sign, you know? So there's a brother that's living with them at the time, her husband's brother. And she says his tongue does not stop. He just keeps saying, this is God's justice. This is God trying to, you know, you thought you were doing the right thing, but it's not. And finally, her husband's like, stop. So it's just this really intense time. So we're all praying. We're all praying. Drew and Ryan go up, spend time with um, the husband. They, they like listen to a psalm together. They're kind of crying out to God together. So she tells us Wednesday night, they're as a, as a small family, they're crying out to God. She says, we're sobbing, we're weeping, we're saying, God, you have to intervene. We don't know what to do. Um, we put our faith in you. And they hear a knock on the door. And um, she tells her daughter, Raida, you guys saw the video, um, to go to the door. Raida goes to the door, comes back and says, um, it was no one. And her mom said, go back and check. And she goes back to the door and she looks and on the ground, there's a sack. So she brings a sack in. And in the sack is $1,200. And no one, like we didn't give the money. We don't know anyone who has $1,000. So it was just, I mean, so we still to this day have no idea who, who provided that money. But um, so to his family, it was this crazy miracle. To their, to their nuclear family, they're crying out. In the middle, they're crying out, money appears. So like it was this testimony for all of her kids and her husband. But then to his family, it was like, oh, no, actually God is with you. You have the car back and you have the money and plus money, you know? So it was just this amazing story. Generosity in the Arab world is connected to honor, right? So the idea of an anonymous gift is like, that has never happened before to them. So for them, we, we still, act, we actually don't know legitimately if that was pure miracle or who God prompted to give that money. Uh, but to them, it was truly a miracle because no one would ever give a gift without wanting you to know they gave you the gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible and so beautiful. So appreciate you guys in so many ways. Um, first and foremost as people that I love and me and Sarah just cherish our friendship and um, just 
so cherish the, the, what you are doing is not only making like ushering in the presence of God and to, to Muslims that God is just in love with, but it's also encouraging the church here and just know that um, we have been so encouraged to have you guys with us for the last couple of weeks. It's filled my spirit. It's filled me with faith and it's filled me with awe at how God is moving in ways that I don't see in my life sometimes. And I don't see around us. And I actually celebrate that it's, Sarah and I were reflecting last week as we were walking after, after our time with you guys and just saying, I think it's beautiful that, that I don't, we don't see that stuff. And I feel like we don't even need it as much, but in, in the middle of the Muslim world, in the middle of the Middle East, God is on the move in supernatural ways. And it's just, I, I hope it happens tenfold and I love it and love how God is sharing himself because he just can't help. So Thank you so much, Drew and Mary. Um, I'm, I know this won't be the last time you're with us. I sure hope not. And um, we're excited to just, as a church family now, get to know you more and to, to partner with you in prayer. And friends, when we talk about prayer, I hope these stories encourage you that prayer actually matters, that things happen when we pray. Real things in the physical world, the universe is changed because of prayer. So Drew and Mary, can we just finish this time like we did last week. We're going to sing another song after we pray. There's prayer breakout rooms right now. Shelly Schmore has been just inundating the chat rooms with, with uh, the prayer breakout rooms. So please, if you want prayer at all, Bruce City Church, click on that link and you can go get prayer as we speak. But um, can we do the thing again where I pray, Mary, you pray, and then Drew, you pray in Arabic again, because it's so beautiful and rich. Mm. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we just, there's this resounding yes within my spirit. Yes, yes, yes. I love, I love what you are doing in the world right now. I love, I love what you are doing and how you're sharing yourself in the world, in the Muslim world in particular. We just say yes and amen to what you're doing among Muslim, among Syrian refugees and among youth in schools, what you're doing in ways that we haven't even heard about, we haven't even touched on yet. You are moving and we say yes and amen. And so we bless, we bless Drew and Mary, Mary in Jesus' name. We bless their family. We bless their team in Jesus' name. And we just, I just bless them with increased faith, with increased, increased uh, power, with, the, with, with increase of, of provision, of faith, of, of, of supernatural awakening, of prophetic words, words of knowledge and healing and, 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 and the word of God coming alive to them and to the Muslim people around them in beautiful, unprecedented ways. The word of God taking root in souls and in hearts and not just being a momentary experience, but actually taking root, not just being a momentary miracle, but actually taking root within these, within these ones that you love so desperately, you love so much. So I pray now, not just for an increase in the supernatural miracles and healings, but an increase in discipleship in Jesus' name. I pray for an increase in depth of relationship with you, Jesus, among these Muslim young people and Syrian refugees in Jesus' name, that this would not be a flash in the pan, but this would be the beginning of their journey with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, who has called them by name and who is who, they, who wants to journey with them through their lives, that you are not just changing moments, you are changing families, you are changing generations and families 
fulfilling, changing stories among a family line, among a lineage, that now there is a family line and a lineage that is forever changed because the living God has come alive and revealed himself to this family, to this one. And it's going to spread through the generations. We pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name for families and generations to be changed by the power of God, by the word of God, by you, the living word of God, Lord Jesus. We declare it now in Jesus' name. I feel your your spirit resounding within me that this is what you delight in. This is what you do. And so we bless this disciple-making movement in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, we receive that, God. We receive that. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you that you're living and active, that you're moving today, that you are, that you're drawing men and women to yourself, that you're revealing who you are, that you're moving here in the Middle East. But God, we just say that you're moving in Milwaukee, God, that you're moving in the neighborhoods. And we just ask for you to open up our spiritual eyes. Would you open up our eyes to just see where you are, who are you sharing with, who are you talking to? And God, we just ask for you to like, to blow away even our expectations. God, I thank you for the things that we've seen here. I thank you for the ways that um, you continue to surprise us and fill us with joy that as that every amount of sacrifice or every amount of time that we give in, God, that you surprise us with the joy of what it means to to bring you into the hardest places, to bring you into the darkest places. God, there's nothing like carrying your gospel into people who have never heard it. So God, I ask that you would release that kind of a gift over Bruce City. I pray that you would raise up people in there that, that have, I know they're already there, but even just breathing on that fire that takes you to the darkest places, to the most hurting places, to the ones who are addicted, to the ones who are in prison, to the ones who who uh, don't even know you yet and that they can offer this kingdom moment that can just um, change their perspective on what it's like to know Jesus. So God, I thank you again that you're living and active, that you're moving among us. We worship you, Jesus. Yes. نشتاق تعال يا رب وانزل على عرشك هون على حد الارض اسس ملكوتك من خلالنا يا رب نحن بدنا نشوفك بدنا نشوفك بوجوه وحياه الناس حوالينا هون بلبنان وبسوريا وبال بالملواكي يا رب وين ما كان بدنا نشوف ملكوتك عم عم يجي من خلالنا يا رب لياتي ملكوتك لتكن مشيئتك كما في السماء كذلك على الارض يا رب أنت مستحق، أنت مستحق عبادة كل العالم وأنت يا رب اللي بملأنا من جوا اللي بغيرنا وبشددنا من جوا من خلال روحك ونحن نشتاق لنشوف ملكوتنا في حياتنا وفي حياة أصحابنا ببروسيا يا رب استخدمون يا رب ليشوف ملكوت الله بطريقة عجيبة طريقة هن ما تصوروا إنهم شوفوا هالشيء بحياتهم يا رب أنت عامل شيء جديد من خلالهم من خلال روحك من وراء هالأيام الصعبة باسم المسيح أمين. Amen. Thank you, Drew and Mary, again so much.